Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hello, I'm Misty Little and your hostess for this podcast. And this is my first solo episode for the season, which is kind of a change in pace from the last couple of seasons. Um, I, I felt like I had too many solo episodes last season and I don't think I rock them nearly as well as other solo podcasters. So I pulled back on them this year. And however, I thought maybe this episode, I would maybe sit down and ramble for a little bit. So you're going to have to bear with me. By the time this episode airs, it's going to be New Year's Eve 2018. And I thought I would do a little bit of a garden year round kind of wrap up. Um, you know, how I felt about my garden this year, failures, pluses, and um, things about the podcast as well. So let's get started. So I went into 2018 really thinking I was going to do really well with the garden in terms of adding more native plants, getting some more diversity and some beds. And honestly, I was thwarted. (laughs) I feel like wildlife was against me half the time. Um, between the deer and armadillos and I think some opossums, things were digging around and eating and chowing and just, it was just kind of a frustrating, frustrating year for me in the garden, honestly. A few beds looked good and in the early spring, early summer, and honestly, by the time the end of summer came around and fall came around, I was just... I had kind of given up. I was very frustrated with a few things that they didn't turn out how I wanted my ideas for a shady bed, flower bed, um, really, really just didn't work out. I had this dream of these woodland plants and this great understory and yeah, that failed, but that dream is still alive and I'm hoping to do that in 2019. I put in another order of seeds from Prairie Moon Nursery in Minnesota, and it's really actually kind of frustrating to find native seeds. And I know I've heard on other episodes and people I've talked to and other podcasts, like native plants, or you can find them and find seeds. The, the, the problem is, is that it's really hard to find seeds for my particular eco-region. And we have a native seed company here in Texas out in Junction and Junction is kind of in the hill country. So that's a more limestone based soil and a lot of a drier climate than out here in East Texas. East Texas is a much more music area, a lot more rainfall, a lot more acidic uh, soil types. And um, it honestly resembles much more of the deep south and the southeastern United States. So I've been trying to find plants that would fit that niche. So things, you know, further east and south. Uh, but honestly, I and mean, I've, I've tried to look up, you know, if some of these plants that I'm buying seeds for are actually native to Texas. And a lot of times, sometimes they're maybe native to northeast Texas, or maybe a couple counties here or there in east Texas. But uh, it's actually pretty difficult to find seeds for this particular region that are actually native here. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely bending the rules. My garden is not a strictly native garden. We have tropical plants. So, <laughs> um, but because of this particular section of bed, I kind of felt like finding more woodland native plants would work in it. So that's what I'm going for now. If I can get my deer and armadillos and 
possums under control, then that would be great. So we've actually relocated armadillos before. And, um, and, and by relocating, it's really only like a quarter mile away down into a woodlot. Um, my, we, it's kind of fun to trap them. And, and by fun, I mean a pain in the butt. <laughs> um, my husband set up just some, you know, like feral cat kind of traps and, um, it took some time to relocate them, but we finally did. And well, they're, they're smart. They're back. And so they cause havoc. And you're probably, if you're up north, you're like armadillos. Well, yes. Welcome to the South armadillos. And honestly, I don't see that many armadillos in Texas as much as I saw in Florida. There are a ton of armadillos in Florida. It's kind of crazy. So flower garden, not so great last year. Um, it could have been better. And I had a lot of milkweed beetles, which is fine, but I didn't have a lot of leaves on them for the monarchs when they came through. The monarch season in the fall was just pitiful because we got cool, cold weather early this year. Um, in October, it was cool and rainy, which is not typical. Um, there may have been a couple days where it warmed back up to the 80s, but it was not a typical October here. Um, and so when the mo fall monarch migration started coming through, they really kind of got stalled out or they stayed further west in the hill country. So I did not have much of a monarch season compared to last fall or even this, this past spring, which was the spring was really a pretty good monarch season. So I was really kind of disappointed. I actually released my last two monarchs about I'm recording this before New Year's Eve when you hear this. So I'm recording this about on Christmas Eve Eve. And um, so about a week ago, I released the two, last two monarchs and they were laid as eggs in October, mid-October and went into chrysalis second week of November. And um, after talking with a friend of mine, she said that it was possible that they would overwinter in chrysalis. Um, I was kind of iffy on that, but they just stayed in chrysalis and stayed in chrysalis. And it's usually about two weeks on a normal cycle, but this was about six weeks. And so they chose a day to come out as a cold front was coming through. And I actually ended up putting them outside because I just come home, saw that they were out and I was about to go pick up my son and go with some dinner. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to release you guys. But as this cold front was coming through, I realized, well, this was probably not the best idea. So they were still where I left them because it was, you know, 60, 50 degrees and they were not going to fly. It's too, too chilly for them. So pick them back up, put them in the butterfly cage, brought the butterfly cage into my, my laundry room and, um, looked up on supplementing them with some apple juice, um, for a couple days and it warmed back up about two days later. I let them out. They got some sun and they flew away. So I ended up tagging those two. I do not think they're going to make it to Mexico. It seems a little late for that, but maybe they'll make it to the Texas coast, hang out and participate in migrating uh, back and populating the next round of monarchs for this coming year. Another interesting thing that I did this year was raise some pipevine swallowtail butterflies. Um, first, we've had pipevine in the garden for a couple of years. And I actually just realized this last year that the one big vine we have is, uh, I think Aristolochia gigantea. Well, a couple of the really large, um, pipe vines are actually toxic to pipe vine swallowtail caterpillars. I believe the, uh, 
polydamus swallowtail. Uh, I think, um, I hope I got that right. And I had to go to Google to check that. And it is the polydamus swallowtail. They are more tropical swallowtail and you'll see them in Florida as well. They can eat that. Um, but I don't really get polydamus around here. So, <laughs> um, so I kind of learned my lesson the hard way when all of my first in-star caterpillars died on me and I was like, what's happening? And so I went back to my Google researched that and I remembered that a few years ago I'd read something about the Gigantea, but I wasn't sure on if that was the plant I had. Well, I was pretty sure now. So that was a bummer, but I also have Aristolochia fimbriata, which is really lovely uh, kind of ground cover growing uh, pipe vine. It has tiny, small pipe vine flowers. Um, it'll, it'll kind of climb on a fence, but it really is good for, uh, for a ground cover. And that is perfectly fine. So I'm also trying to grow a couple other uh, pipe vines for next year. I'm growing Watsonii. I actually have one plant already, but it's it's not a very gregarious uh, plant. It's kind of a small kind of tram- uh, rambling plant. So hopefully this coming year, I will actually try to get the more native pipe vine and get that incorporated in my garden. But I was able to raise after I figured out what was wrong. I the eggs were laid on the Aristolochia gigantea. So it was a little bit tricky. I put the leaves in a little bit of water and um, kind of watched for the eggs to hatch like daily and making sure a couple times a day after the first few days. And as soon as I saw them hatching, I would get a little um, toothpick and gently try to get those little caterpillars and move them over to the Fimbriata. So I successfully did all of that. It was a little bit of a headache, but I did that and I've got a bunch of pipe vine uh, chrysalises in my my tent. So they were all pupated back in September. I think I had a couple of them decided to eclose early, which is fine. I released those, but all of the others decided they were going to overwinter, which is which is fine. That's what the, what they do. So I've had them sitting in my tent for forever. A lot of them I put rocks in my tent so that they, the tent doesn't blow away. Well, they pupate on the back of the rock. So they're kind of sitting on that. And then I had to move a couple others off of, they pupated on top of the tent and I had to move, move them off so that I could clean the tent up. Cause I was expecting this big monarch season. It never came. Um, so I had to, I tied them up onto a stick. And so I kind of the stick laying across in there waiting and, while I was waiting for the monarchs to be closed, one day I came home like earlier in the week from the monarchs. There's a pipe vine, a butterfly hanging out of the tent. And I'm like, okay, um, sure. I guess after four months you were ready, but I hope you know what you're doing. So all the others are still cozy in their chrysalis and hopefully they'll make it stay in there nice and warm until February. So on that, talking about warm, we had that cool October and early November. And then I kind of felt like we were getting more into seasonal December. And now I feel like, I mean, yeah, I kind of feel like we're really more into a seasonable December. It's been warm, um, some days in the seventies and sixties, um, an average, you know, forties or fifties at night, sometimes in the thirties. Um, it's definitely felt the last month more like a typical winter here. Um, really, but I can't say much until January, February, because that's when we get a lot more of our freezes and bad weather. So that'll be really the telling. And 
and by all of this, I say is that like we had that early freeze in um, November, which was about four weeks early and knocked all everything back. But I've had Brugmansia's re-sprouting, um, many other things that are just like, eh, what, what freeze? So it's been warm enough for a lot of things to, to break dormancy. And I saw somebody else posting like bud, peach flower buds and, that's really early. <laughs> and everybody is just kind of like, no, not, not yet. Because we know that that will come back to haunt us in January or February. So I don't know. It's hard to tell with the climate. I'm sure everybody else listening has had some weird stuff going on in their region. And hey, let me know what what's going on with you. Is it warm? Is it too cold? Too wet? Too dry? What's going on? Um, out in the edible garden, I would say it was a eh, mediocre year. I all of the big tomato season for me and blackberry season for me really didn't get to experience that because we happened to go on about a twelve day vacation in early June when those things are coming into fruit. So I got some blackberries and I got a few tomatoes, but the big tomato harvest really. I, I just missed it. So I didn't get to can anything or make salsa or, or spaghetti sauce or anything like that. I let my neighbor, I told him to go harvest tomatoes because I knew that would, um, they would just rot or the birds would get them. So blackberries, I did get enough to eat on, but I didn't make any more jam this year, which is probably okay. Cause I have jam from last year still. Um, but I feel like the garden out there, it needs some work. It, the, the fall garden is looking all right now. Things are starting to do really well. And really in the next month or two is when a lot of my greens are going to be looking good. Well, except for my bok choy, which is perfect with this wonderful weather we've been having, they're also starting to bolt. So that's the frustrating thing, but they always, they will bolt early um, compared to everything else. So I actually need to go out and pick that stuff soon and probably get a new round of uh, bok choy sewn so that way I can enjoy it before it's just it just gets too warm but I'm growing a lot of stuff out there my husband who's been kind of absent out there in the last couple years um, is getting back out there he likes to plant certain things like he really enjoys uh, sugar snap peas um, carrots and onions and things like that and other things not so much and so he's kind of finally getting back into that, um, sowing some onions and lettuce and, uh, some plants for carrots. And, and like I said, the sugar snap peas, um, we enjoy that, but he's getting back out there. And we, we may be expanding our pollinator garden a little bit out towards that area because we have issues with the deer. Um, this year I actually put some plants in there like, um, coneflower and Rebecca things that the deer just chow on in my flower garden, I put some out there so I could actually enjoy them <laughs> there inside the fence. And of course, a couple of times you would think that the deer, the lower parts of our um, deer fence, they have, I would say, decent sized, probably three by three inch, maybe four inch um, little squares. And some of them, I'm guessing it's the younger ones, really adept at sticking their little nose through there and grabbing um, flowers and leaves. And so you'll think everything's doing great and then come by and see deer brows. So that's been a bit frustrating. <sighs> um, let's see what else. I had really good ginger harvest this year. And um, I have to say, if you can just like get a snip of ginger from the grocery store, throw it in the ground or a pot or whatever you do, um, 
I think it's pretty worthwhile. Um, this year we dried the ginger and I actually put it in my Vitamix and made a powder and oh my gosh, it smells so delicious. And you know, it actually, you think about like all the work that goes involved in it, but now I've got like all this little, um, jelly jar of, um, ginger powder for the rest of the year, which is pretty awesome. And I definitely did not harvest all of my ginger. I kind of broke off snips and, um, left a bunch out there. And I tried to do that with turmeric, but my turmeric just never grew. Um, not sure what's up with that. I may have to try growing it in a pot next year if I find some more turmeric. I also grew sunchokes this year, which, um, helianthus tuberosus, I think. Um, let's check on that on Google. Hold on. Yes. Scientific name jackpot. I mean, it makes sense. Helianthus tuberosus, you know, tuberous Jerusalem artichokes. Um, so that's correct. And yeah, so I tried that this year from just like five tubers I bought at Central Market. It's kind of a, I'd call it a Whole Foods type store here. Um, I have all sorts of, you know, natural foods alternatives. They have, they have a humongous like fruit and vegetable section and you, you will be amazed at like everything you can find there. And so that's where I found them. And yeah, they grew extremely well. Unfortunately, I don't think I like them. Um, I know there can be some gastrointestinal issues with them. I didn't really think that was a big problem. Um, I mean, not any different than like eating beans, y'all. So, um, at least for me, so maybe someone out there may have more problems, but it's a taste. Um, and I don't know if maybe I can try them a different way. They felt a little too earthy for me. It's like, and I mean, I, I roasted them for about 45 minutes because 30 minutes was not enough. And maybe I need to roast them longer, but they were a little, they were still a little slightly crunchy and just a little earthy. And yeah, so if you have any, um, Jerusalem artichoke or sunchoke recipes or ideas, send them my way. I'm going to grow them again next year. And then after that, I know that like it's potential that for them to be hard to get rid of because of the tubers and you miss them. But, um, yeah, if they if they're not performing, I'm gonna get rid of that space and pass the tubers on to somebody who's more willing to grow them. Something else I really enjoyed this year was the uh, holy basil or Tulsi. It smells so delicious. It performed extremely well, and I brought all of it in and dried it for tea, which I haven't drank yet. But <laughs> it smelled really great. And while I was drying it, um, very it's not earthy. It's more like a I would say a mix of like cinnamon and cardamom and nutmeg. It's almost a baking scent. Um, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's so warm and, and awesome. So I'm hope I should actually probably drink that. It's now winter. I should be drinking tea, right? So yeah, that was a great addition this year. And I actually grew basil this year too, which I haven't really done in the last few years because I always seem to put it in too late and have germination issues. But this year I did great. I didn't really do anything with pesto, but I did dry it and just blended it up again as to use as spice. Um, other than that, I would say, like I said, our, our gardening year this year wasn't too spectacular. It was a decent garden. <laughs> I'm hoping this next coming year I can get back into pumpkins. I have a lot of different pumpkin seeds. I put an order into pine tree um, edible seeds. They're out of Maine, I believe, um, recently. And I'm excited about some of those. Oh, I had an amazing okra year. I love okra. And I put it up in the heat of the garden right up front. Um, last few years, I've kind of put it where 
ever I had space available, but this year I made sure <laughs> to get it right where I knew it would want it. And I grew like 12 feet tall ochre, y'all. So it was way over my head. I had to get a step ladder. And then even my tallest step ladder, I still, at one point, by the time it was all said and done, I still like couldn't reach to the top. So I ended up leaving a lot of that stuff for seed and then just kind of bending the branches down so I could cut them down later. Um, but I'm going to try growing this um, red candle, I think is what it's called, okra next year. And it's an F1 hybrid. And um, it looked really interesting. I've not, I haven't grown a hybrid okra before, but this will be something interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I guess I'll wrap up. I spent a little time in the garden this weekend doing some cleanup. I trimmed back the tropical milkweed and took cuttings of that. And I have a bazillion cuttings in pots already for next year and for the monarchs. Um, so I took these and actually just stuck them straight into my flower bed. And because our flower bed is really pretty moist, usually um, I'm sure it's not going to have any problems rooting. And it's actually bouncing back from the freeze to sending out new leaves and growth as well. What else is going on? Did a lot of garden cleanup, trimmed back some banana trees. I took out an almond verbena that when we originally planted it, we were thought it'd be shrub-like, but it's really like small tree and it was just not the right space for that plant. So that got taken out and I, I would love an almond verbena. I think they're one of the trees a lot of people recommend here in Texas because of the scent and because of their attraction to pollinators or the attractiveness of it to pollinators, I should say. And it just, it just didn't work in that space. So I took that out and I'm going to be rethinking that area. Um, I may be moving a um, Cinna corombosa over there. It's an Argentine Cinna. I'm not sure yet. That's still on the uh, idea of branching out theory here. And um, yeah, there's a lot of reworking going on. I think our garden is about six years old now. And it's it's time to reevaluate some things that just aren't working for us anymore. Um, poor planning on our part from initially, you know, putting a plant in and not realizing the size it's going to be or thinking about that some section has gotten too shady or realizing the overstory and the canopy has changed. So there's going to be some garden editing going on this year. As for the podcast, I've been enjoying the podcast a lot more this year. Like I said, of not so many episodes of me rambling. I feel like finally the podcast is catching on a little bit. I do wish that I had figured out how to market this thing back in season one and two because I have a lot of great guests and a lot of episodes back there that definitely don't get the listens that they should. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I want something new, please go back. There are some great guests back in there. I mean, I'm not, I haven't listened to them, so I don't want to listen to myself. <laughs> I don't know how silly I sound, but all of my guests are great. And go back, listen to them. There's always something interesting to learn. And I mean, do that with other people's archives too. Um, not just, you know, whatever they're putting out new. I know that so, so many people that I listen to on podcasts have been doing this for many years and not just our recent startups, but some of them have been podcasting before, you know, this, this genre took off. So dive deep into the archives, mine and everybody else's. And I hope to have more great guests this rest of the season. I'm also contemplating trying to make this more of a year round podcast, maybe less of a break than I normally do. 
because I am enjoying this season so much, but we'll kind of see how I feel in April or May after I've done this for a while. But if you have any ideas for guests, um, or if you would like to be a guest, just kind of let me know and um, maybe it'll work out. I'm still trying to plan out the rest of the season. I have a few ideas and contacts for in the next few months and a few people already lined up three people lined up for January and early February. And they're awesome, awesome episodes and stay tuned for that. Also, this podcast wouldn't exist without help from listeners. And that's in support of just leaving a rating and review on iTunes because, you know, I don't do Patreon. I don't do sponsors. This is really just kind of, you know, a passion hobby sort of thing of mine that I enjoy doing. I really rely on word of mouth and those readings and reviews for this podcast to succeed. So if you haven't done already, I've got about 14 people who've, who've said, you know, five star or four star or whatnot, and um, left some readings and reviews. I definitely appreciate if you took the time and did that if you've, if you found any interest or of worth in any of these podcasts. All right. And that's it. And you can find show notes or the podcast website at thegardenpathpodcast.com. You can sign up for my monthly newsletter at thegardenpathpodcast.com. There's a couple of signups right there. I send out a little newsletter every month, kind of telling what's going on in my garden, things I find around the internet that's garden related, that's worth reading. And um, I just send that out. And it was, it's really fun to kind of put that together too. You can also find me on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. I've started sharing a little more of less of my garden and more nature and botany type things recently. Um, I've wanted to branch out for a while and um, I kind of want to go that way. So if you, if you like that sort of thing, pop over and check me out there and you can drop me an email at the garden path podcast at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you guys for a great 2018 and I will see y'all in 2019.